Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. It was in the aftermath of the attacks in Paris that Jordan Smith walked onto the stage of the uh, voice. If you have uh, watched the voice, you will know that the point of the show is to discover raw talent. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the show, what they do is they wait for, uh, they don't look so that they can judge based on talent rather than on appearance. They listen and then they decide if they're going to turn around and uh, uh, see who it is who is singing. So the attacks had taken place and Jordan Smith was to sing. This was just a few days after those attacks and Jordan Smith was to sing. Jordan Smith is no stranger to the stage. He uh, comes from a small town in Kentucky, leads worship in his church. He is a student at Lee University in Tennessee, a Christian college. Uh, Here's what he said afterward in in an interview. I love to lead worship. And my parents really encouraged me to sing in church. My faith is who I am, and I wanted to share that with the world. He says, my faith is the thing that gives me strength and that I find joy in. At the end of the day, with my problems and concerns, I can turn to God and have peace in my situation. That's been the main thing that's carried me through this My relationship with God has kept me grounded, and it's been my foundation through all of it. And so that night, while all the world was reeling from those attacks, uh, Jordan had chosen a song to speak to that. And so we're going to, just it was completely dark there, we're going to bring the lights down. I want you to look at the screen and listen to Jordan Smith uh, sing his song. Last week, Alan Michael wonderfully preached about singing in the storm. And this week, we are going to look at Habakkuk as he finishes this song. This song that he wrote at the end. Now, let me kind of rewind for you if you've not been along for the journey or if you have. uh, As a good reminder, Habakkuk begins in chapter 1 with these questions. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear, why do you make me to see iniquity? And then God answered him and said, I am, behold, I am doing a work in your days that you would not understand, even if I told you. Uh, a most oft-quoted uh, verse in Scripture because it wasn't a good work uh, from Habakkuk's point of view. God was raising up that Chaldean army and they would come marching uh, across and into Jerusalem and completely and utterly devastate Jerusalem. 
God described them as having horses that were swifter than leopards. They were more fierce than even in wolves. They fly like an eagle to devour, God said. This was going to be one horrendous army. And Habakkuk heard that message. It didn't help him at all. He was speaking out against certain injustice among his own people who ought to know better. And he heard that message and he said to God, I'm going up onto the watchtower there on the city wall. And I'm going to listen and wait and hear what you will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so he waited And God spoke. Habakkuk could have had no idea the import of what God said to him in 2-4. God looked at Habakkuk and said something to him that would become the marching orders for Paul when he wrote that great treatise on salvation and justification and sanctification and glorification God looked at Habakkuk and said, in the middle of all of this, I want you to write this down, put it on a stone tablet so that those who run may uh, see it. Meaning that when prophets, all they have to do is run by and see it. The, The Jews would later say this one statement summarizes all 613 of their laws. The righteous shall live by his faith. Paul would quote Habakkuk in Romans 1.17 and say that the righteous will live by his faith and then spend 16 chapters explaining that one phrase. Before the writer of Hebrews ascends that great mountain on which he is going to display the hall of fame of faith in chapter 11. In chapter 10, verse 28, he says, those guys that you and I tend to idolize, no, don't idolize them. They are only righteous because they lived by faith. 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrestling with the penance that uh, was being charged for forgiveness of sins in the Catholic Church and the corruption. And wrestling with this one statement that he read in Romans 1.17, which Paul had quoted from Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. Uh, Luther would begin what would become The Reformation enabling you and me to sit in a church like this and worship God as we do. Habakkuk had no clue that little stone of a statement that he threw, that God threw in the pebble. How it would continue to reverberate until this day. And then Habakkuk, God pronounces woes against the Chaldeans saying, Habakkuk, don't fret, I've got him. I've got them. They think that they're doing this on their own power. I've raised them up. I'll depose them. And then, as we heard last week, Habakkuk writes a song. And the overarching theme of his song is, In wrath, remember mercy. God, when you visit us with your wrath through the Chaldeans, would you sprinkle in some mercy? And this morning we get to the end of his song, and when we do, we discover both a poetic and a practical prayer. And I will say to you, if you've never had to pray this before, one day you will. 
One day you'll find yourself in a place where you will have to pray this prayer. Life will deal you something that forces you to pray this prayer. Three words that you need to write down that form uh, really the boundaries for the prayer. Though, yet, because. Though, yet, and because. What does Habakkuk pray? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now what Habakkuk prayed happened. Everything he's praying here ultimately happened. And some scholars believe that the destruction had already begun by the time we get to chapter 3 of Habakkuk. And we're reading essentially from his journal. But this ultimately did happen. Now let's look at it for a moment. You've got a fig tree and fruit on the vine and produce of the olive. Uh, Habakkuk prays from the non-essential to the essential. You see, figs are used to make fig fig cakes. That's dessert. Uh, Dessert, uh, for many people, is a non-essential. For me, I I bump it up ahead of dinner. I love some sweet stuff. And yesterday, Wendy and I trekked down to just go hang with Hannah for a little bit in the middle of her final exams, just a little trek to Greenville, and uh, went online, Googled, found this place. If you're ever in downtown Greenville, you got to go eat there, the Brick Street Cafe. They have good sandwiches, so what? They have amazing desserts. And everybody said, amen. And so... And thank you, Lord. And so we ate our sandwiches and the pasta. It was so good. But then they bring that long list of desserts. Wow. We decided to get three like we thought we could eat it all. And, uh, and get three different ones. Wendy got something called the most delicious chocolate cake you've ever tasted. Literally, that was the name of it. Hannah got carrot cake and I got something I've never in my life eaten. Sweet potato cake. Wow. Wow. Like marriage supper of the lamb material is so good. We all tasted one another's dessert was good, but dessert isn't necessary. It isn't. And so Habakkuk begins with the unnecessary things, dessert, wine, olive oil, all right, so many of us would stop there. We would say, okay, God, though, though I don't get the car I was wanting or uh, the promotion I was really after or though I don't get the very house I have my eyes set on, I'll still rejoice in you. But he doesn't stop there. Look at this. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. That's bread, milk, and meat. God, if there's absolutely nothing left to eat, I will rejoice. The essentials. 
if I don't get not what I want, but what I need, I will rejoice. Now, I need to speak to this because there are a couple kinds of people in the room. All right, so some of you have a hypersensitive conscience, right? You have a bad thought and, and you hit, hit your knees and pray, right? And so you know who you are. You're laughing at me right now. Like you, you live in constant fear uh, or, or guilt. Uh, you, that's where you are. I mean, that's how you live. That's where you are. And in your mind, whether you articulate it or not, you feel that God is, is there. He's watching. And as soon as you mess up, bam, he pounces on you. And he, he, then you, you feel guilty and you deal. And so you constantly deal with, with that. This is not where Israel is. So, so what is it that God would allow or send or raise up an army to come in and take over and devastate and destroy? Leviticus 26 tells us about that. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, here it is. This is to God's people. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, notice this. If you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules, these are God's people. This is not outside of God's people. You say, Jerry, is it possible for me to come to church every Sunday and not listen to God? Yes, it is. Is it possible for me to sit under your preaching and under Alan Michael's preaching and listen to the songs of God and not do the commandments of God? Yes, it is. If you will not listen to me and will not do all the commandments, if you spurn, that's an old word that means to reject, refuse my statutes. And if your soul deep within hates my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. God is saying, this is what I'll do. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. God spelled this out to them. This is not just on a whimsy. This is they've gone and gone and gone and gone. And God has spoken again and again and again and again. And they've refused again and again and again and again. And God says, okay, if that's how you want to live, then this is what I'll do. I will judge. God had told them this. And we continue. I will set my face against you. And you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you. And you shall flee when none pursues you. But look at verse 18. And if in spite of this. What does that mean? That means that the whole first part of that has been to bring them back. It has been to restore them. It has been to bring them back, to bring them in, to say, hey, come back, come home, come back. I'm disciplining you even now. Come home. Uh, That's what it's been. And if in spite of this, you will not listen to me. Is it possible that you could so love your sin that even after such discipline, Even after such harsh treatment by God of you, his son, of you, his daughter, that you would go on in continued sin? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Last night, 
three different people in this church, three different texts, belligerently going on in their sin. Going, I knew it. Would they listen to me? No, they would not listen. I, I warned them. I talked to all three of them separately for weeks and months. Stop where you are. Quit what you're doing. You're headed toward destruction. Nothing, nothing I watched and just... Last night, all right in a row, text, then another text, then another text from them. I've blown it. I'm losing my family. I've blown it. I'm losing my reputation. I'm just one after another after another last night. It's possible to be in God's house, hear God's word, Love your sin so much that you could wreck your very life. And some of you are headed straight toward that even now. God says, if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, I will discipline you again. Look at this, sevenfold for your sins. Unimaginable. And I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, meaning it won't rain and the ground, if you dropped a seed on it, it would bounce off as if it were hard stone. Wow. This is not on a whimsy that God is acting. He he laid that out early and clear. He loves his people. Habakkuk is seeking him in all of this. And he says, though, God, you do this to all these people, my people, And I consequently suffer. I go hungry because there's no food. And for two years, the city was surrounded. No one could leave. No one could enter. And they starved. As a matter of fact, they boiled their own children to eat them. Though, brings us to yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Yet, yet. What does that mean? Well, maybe we have a tendency to look at this word rejoice and go, oh, that's when you have this Um, and we kind of spell it out what that ought to look like. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, The word rejoice literally means here to jump for joy. To jump for joy. It is a joy that is so real that it expresses itself outwardly as it is experienced inwardly. 
And Habakkuk says, though all this happens, I will jump for joy. What? In who God is. Don't miss that. I will rejoice in the Lord, in who he is. Not anything he's done for me. I simply will rejoice because God is God and because God is good and because God is powerful and because God is ultimately just and because God's discipline always fits, uh, his punishment always fits the offense perfectly. He never over punishes. He never over disciplines. I'm a dad. I have over disciplined before and I have under disciplined before. But God's discipline is always perfect for the offense. And Habakkuk rejoices in that God. I will rejoice in the Lord. But secondly, I will take joy. Well, maybe that's the more benign form of rejoice. Why do we even have two different words here? Because we do. We have I will rejoice, which means to jump up and down. So maybe this is the calm joy, right? No. This word literally means to spin around. All right, so I'm going to jump up and down because of who God is. And I'm going to spin around. Why? In the God of my salvation. Because of what God has done. I will rejoice in who he is. But I also am going to spin around in what he has done. What has he done? He has saved Habakkuk. You say, what do you mean? Let me pause for a moment to share something with you. That perhaps in our uh, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps mentality in the United States. We don't like to think about. But when Adam came breathing life, the only reason he did in Genesis was because God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He had zero to do with his becoming a human being. As a matter of fact, if you sit here this morning and you were born, you had nothing to do with that. Nothing. Nobody asked you what you thought about it. God Brought you into the world. The very beginning of your life, you were completely and utterly dependent on the sovereign plan of God to bring you physically into the world. You had no choice in that. But let's continue. If you sit here this morning and you know Christ, there is absolutely nothing you ever did to bring yourself to him. You say, why? Let's consider Abraham. He's over in the land of Ur, where the Chaldeans are from, right? King Neb. That's where Abraham is. God comes and chooses him. Why? Because God wanted to. God didn't look at Abraham and go, oh, you fit all these criteria on my list. How do we know that? Well, Well, if you don't know the story, let me just tell you quickly. Abraham had a knockout for a wife. Her name was Sarah. She must have been stunningly beautiful. Why? Because when he would trek about, guess what would happen? All the kings would see her and go, whoa. Right? They go, whoa. Look at her. And so they would approach Abraham. And guess who they wanted? Sarah. 
And do you know what he did? Well, he valiantly fought for her. No. He said, oh yeah, she's my sister. Are you serious, Abraham? That's what he did. She's my sister. And so they would get Sarah, take her in. Yeah, this is in the Old Testament. They take her in and no sooner would they get close to anything sexually with her than God would start striking them with illness. And they come bringing Sarah back. What have you done to us? Well, I was afraid. If I told you she was my wife, you'd kill me. Well, what a husband of the year award. I mean, I mean, that's the kind of man every woman wants. You know, shots fired, you just push her out in front. You can take it, honey, right? Was there anything in Abraham worthy of choosing? No, God chose him. And if you sit here and you are saved, God chose you. He, he sought you out. And that should cause you to spin around in joy. That, that he wants you. He wants you. He likes you. He loves you. He desires you. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Though whatever goes in there, yet I will not, not I feel. Don't miss that. I will rejoice, not I feel rejoiceful. I will, not I feel. You, you, some of you need to write that down. You live all of your lives on emotions and, oh, bless you and whoever is married to you. But you're up and down and in and out. And if life is good, you're good. And if life isn't, you're not. And it's just like one big uh, seasick experience. Here, it's I will, not I feel. I will rejoice. Last night. I have just not complained at all. I love what I do. But the last two or three weeks have broken my heart as a pastor. Like ripped it in two as a pastor. And that happens sometimes. And it's part of the territory. And last night, I thought I'm preaching tomorrow and singing your song. And God, I don't even have a song. And so a bunch of boys were upstairs hanging out. I got Trent's speaker and I sat down in my living room and I went and I have this CD of hymns and, uh, or this uh, list of hymns on my phone and I just turned it on and I said, God, uh, actually he prompted me. It may sound strange to you, but I was looking at something on my computer and it was like God said, you want this or you want me? Close the computer. I sat there. It was long, somewhere between hymn four and five. Where God began to become so clear to me. You know that old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his what? Glory and grace. And they started to. 
I didn't feel that way when I sat down. I wrestled my way to that place. And then the songs, probably 12 of them, I don't know how long I sat there, but the longer I did, the greater he got. The more glorious he was and the more of him I wanted and the more I wanted to hear of him. It was an incredible moment just in my living room or a time in my living room there. That's what he's talking about. This is not feel-good stuff. This is not consumerism. This isn't, oh, I show up and have an emotional... No, this is sometimes in your life you will have to dig and fight and say, I will. I don't feel, but I will. You'll have to. And so I did. And God was good. Why? That's the third word, because. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. God is right now. Whatever you need for wherever you are. He is. That's what Habakkuk says. The the enemy's marching in. I'm seeing everything unravel. God is. My, it's personal. He makes my feet like the deer's. What does that mean? Well, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that deer have to be able to walk on rocky mountains. It's rocky terrain, not like we have here. And so their hooves are so fitted as to be uh, slip-proof. They can walk without falling. He says, Habakkuk, as the storm is rolling in, you make my Feet like the deers, you make me tread on my high places down here where all hell is breaking loose. I can live above the storm because, God, you lift me up to that craggy, mountainous place. And when I am there and I look out, this is what I see tonight. Uh, we'll, I'll finish my New Testament class I've been teaching on Sunday night. I'll give you an open invitation. We'll pack out the place if you want to come. It's all on the book of Revelation. What you may not realize is that when John is off in the Aegean Sea on this island called Patmos, a rocky, craggy island, before they shipped him over there, they boiled his body in oil. They boiled him in oil. By the time he arrives to the Isle of Patmos, he is scarred from head to toe. Somehow survived that. And what does he see? Chapter 2, a vision of Jesus Christ. And then he tells us, this is how it's going to go down in the end. Wow. Habakkuk is on a high place and God is lifting him up there while destruction whirls around underneath. And he says, you are my strength. You make my feet slip proof during this time. You make me tread on my high places. And then this ends, all of this is inspired to the choir master with stringed instruments, but That's how the ESV reads, but it rightly has a footnote at the bottom. My stringed instruments. Why? I want to show you 
this. Look at this. And this is what we're going to do. If you're ever going to sing in the storm, nobody else can sing your song for you. Nobody. Oh, they'll want to if they love you. But you have to sing your own song. Look at all these personal pronouns. As a matter of fact, I want you to read them as I read. You read what's highlighted. Yet, we'll rejoice in the Lord. We'll take joy in the God of salvation. God the Lord is strength. He makes feet like the deers. He makes tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. You've got to own it. You've got to sing your song. I can't sing it for you. You you have to. Robert Harkness was a hymn writer and composer in the early 1900s. He attended a revival meeting in Canada where several young men came to faith in Christ. I look down here and I see some uh, young folks uh, in the second service. They're everywhere up toward the front. But these young men came to faith in Christ, but their big concern was not sure that I can keep what God has given me. What if I slip? What if I fall? What if I don't finish the race? So he, in a letter to a woman by the name of Ada Habershon, communicated that. In response, she wrote seven hymns, one of which we're going to teach you today. Most likely you've never heard it. But before we do, I I want you to learn something from one another. I recently talked to a high school teacher. I had never met her from McDowell. And when she learned where I pastored, she said this. She said, uh, Your kids from grace are different. There's something about them. And they stand out in school. Could I say to you, most of our students are in the early service. Some of you are in here. There's no greater compliment than than I could ever receive as a pastor. But that. You students live out your faith. I want to ask you, I did this in an early service. If you're here this morning and you are a student, whatever age, and you've ever faced the challenge of living out your faith among unbelieving students, would you just stand where you are right now? College, high school, middle school, just stay standing. Would you encourage them, church? Just stay standing. Stay standing where you are. I know it's a bit awkward. You'll be joined by others. We're going to sing our song in a moment. If you're here this morning and you've ever watched your mom or your dad just slowly deteriorate in front of your eyes and you cared for them, would you stand?
You see, we've got people who are still singing their song in the storm, don't we? If you're here this morning and and you faced unexpected financial difficulty, loss of job, loss of, of investments, something that just surprised you, and you thought, oh, Lord, I need your help. Would you stand? If you're here this morning and anxiety has ever, ever crept into bed with you at night, and it kind of came out of nowhere, and you wondered, why do I have all this fear? But you're still singing your song. Would you stand If you're here this morning and you have lost a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister to death and you still sing your song, would you stand? If you're here this morning and someone close to you, let me read what Judy De La Marta wrote, she was in the early service, first time here, came up to me, tears. She said, though our daughter Tricia has stage four cancer, she's 43 and might not live out this year, my husband Jim and I will rejoice because he is my strength. If you've ever had a loved one diagnosed with cancer and you wondered what's going to happen, would you stand this morning? If you are here this morning and you've ever wondered, will my marriage make it? Will I get to that place? Would you stand? If you're here this morning and you one day trusted Christ as your Savior.